what you see is what you get. I'm authentic. I don't try to be something I'm not. And the only thing I fake it, and the only thing I fake is my team. Hello, welcome to Life in the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling the stories of women living in regional, rural, and remote Australia. I'm Em Herbert, your host for today. Social media can be a real mixed bag. There's so much juiciness about it, its power of connectivity, its ability to help forge new global friendships, its enriching escapism, its use as a portal to new worlds, and as a tool for information. But there are the downsides too. Trolls for one. If you're not careful, Instagram can play perfectly into the hands of the old saying, comparison is the thief of joy. I often find myself doom-scrolling through big, hard-hitting news stories from around the world and come away feeling fatigued rather than refreshed. That's one of the reasons why I enjoyed today's guest so much. Marion Saunders is the fabulous woman behind the Instagram account Maz Lifestyle, and it is joy on a grid. Maz is a grandmother, designer, entrepreneur, and something of an Insta-it girl. She lives on a property near the tiny community of Corinda in the far north of New South Wales, nearly 90 kilometres from Walgett and 100 k's from Coonamble. Maz is cheerfulness personified. I laugh out loud at some of her reels and just love her positivity and zest for life and how she brings humour and a contagious sense of fun to her every day. She's all about getting women to love the skin they're in, boosting confidence in her 30,000 followers. Yet her journey to representing self-love and confidence has been a long road. Leaving high school when she was 16 after struggling with her sense of self and where she fit in. Um, I didn't really enjoy high school only because I wasn't academic. Like I was when I was in um, primary school. I um, was really good at English and things like that. But then when I progressed into high school, um, especially in Broken Hill, I didn't enjoy it because I I was bullied a little bit and I was in a group of friends that I was always the one acting out to make people laugh or, you know, get a bit of attention because I wasn't like, I wasn't popular at all by any means and I didn't want to be. But yeah, I just didn't have that group of friends that really supported me or who I was as a person. So I used to act out a little bit, you know, I was the class clown and used to get in trouble and different things like that. So school for me, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I went to school, I did what I had to do. um, And then by the time year 10 came around, because I wasn't academic and I wasn't getting and I wasn't pushed at home either, because my mum you know she was fantastic she was like my role model because I get a lot of who I am from who she was but dad was um, ex-army so he was very disciplinarian um, very heavy-handed had four daughters and I was the youngest and we didn't gel very well because you know like he tried to discipline me and then um, I was a bit you know didn't like it so I used to act out and take off and do things like that so but it's only until now that I've realized and I've gotten older that we have looked into his army years and found out he was um had post-traumatic stress due to the war he was undiagnosed back then so Mm. yeah so that I've learned that a lot now and I can see a lot of what was happening back then and how I reacted was due to his um time in the army 
Mm. And if that, that makes sense. Of, yeah, that benefit of hindsight is is such a gift, really, because it helps you to understand, even though it's what fifty years later, um, yeah, what that all entailed. But you left school at at sixteen. What would you mm-hmm. say to your sixteen year old self now, looking back at your at your teenage self? You don't need to have a lot of friends. Find friends that love you for who you are and your abilities, and and find something that you enjoy doing at school like if it's a a a particular subject or if you're really good at sport or you're good at singing or music or dance or one of those elements find something that you can hone in on and focus your attention on that don't try to be in with the cool group or find your tribe basically and just flourish in the people that really enjoy having you around and find something that you love doing like I I look back now and think oh my god I loved drama and acting but I never did it because everybody was out on the lawn smoking under the tree at recess you know (laughs) things like that you know I look back at it now and I go oh my god you know like if I'd had my time over I couldn't care less if I sat in the library and studied or whatever but back then it was just I was you know a kid I left school in 78 79 so it was like the 70s it was I actually was trying to to work out what school how you could try and tell somebody what was school was like when I was going to and all I could think of was puberty blues the Uh, movie puberty blues that was what school was like going to in the 70s for me you know that if but we weren't at the beach we were at the bush (laughs) skinny jeans and skinniness was next to godliness yeah Yeah. mm. you'd wash your jeans and put them in the dryer and then lay on the bed with the coat hanger to get them up and (laughs) Sounds like torture. <laughs> but you were a really creative young person and, and you say that you got that from your mum. She was a, a real creative, wasn't she? Oh, yes, yes. My mum was just amazing. She um, she used to knit and crochet for some of the biggest um, designers in Melbourne. They'd send her up the wool and the patterns and she would knit these amazing jumpers and send down to Sydney to these boutiques. But she also used to um, have a lot of clients come to home because back then... Um, knitting was something you'd go to see, you'd go and buy off somebody. It wasn't like um, you go now and you buy jumpers in Kmart for $12. Back in the old, mum had three knitting machines, like, and she had this, this veranda that she had her knitting machine set up on. She would knit, knit for people, people to come around for fittings for their jumpers or cardigans or I had a twin suit <laughs> um, and all this. So she was very creative and I'm sure that's where I get a lot of my the genes from because of who she was and what I used to witness her doing. Mm, because it wasn't, you didn't have a lot of money growing up, but she was able to sew all your clothes and and paint and, and really create a home out of nothing, mm. really. Yeah. Mum was a hairdresser by trade, but when she married my dad and my dad being old school, um, she wasn't allowed to work. She had to stay home and look after the children and, and do that side of things. So, and she was desperate. She would have loved to have continued and opened up her own um, hairdressing salon, but um, yeah, dad wouldn't allow that. So just seeing mum and like she used to buy all the Christmas presents. She used to have her own money, you know, from what she used to earn from clients and things she was doing for people. So she was very, very self-reliant. Mm. What was it like growing up in Broken Hill in the 70s? Can you paint a little bit of a picture? Oh, I was so free. Like I honestly, the streets, the street lights were our clock. Mm. Um, we used to, we'd go all day, we'd get on our bikes. Like I had a great childhood. I mean, school 
was just one side of it, but my childhood was great. You know, we had the neighbourhood kids and we'd all get on our bikes and we'd go out to the bush and, you know, we had cubby houses and we'd take, you know, a couple of Vegemite sandwiches for the day and off we'd go and we wouldn't come back until the sun went down. Like, and the parents never worried. Like, nobody was out driving around going, you seen Marion or, you know, where is everybody? It was just how things were back then. Mm. And in Broken Hill especially, everybody had billy carts. So um, Broken Hill is very hilly and we live near... Um, St Peter's which is the big church hill thing and like god how we never killed ourselves I have no idea because we'd get on the top of this thing and then right at the end of it if you didn't steer straight left you'd go onto the main road (laughs) so nothing like playing chicken with a (laughs) b-double yeah yeah no it was it was a lot of I had a I loved my childhood like I really did I was very lucky to have the childhood that I did and it was back in the time where we don't have all the issues that we have now that kids, you know, you're watching your children constantly and um, you can't let them out of your sight because you don't know who's around or even with social media, like, you know, I was back in the day where you'd sit there because someone was going to ring you up at a certain time and you'd wait near the phone. (laughs) Well, I love that even the story you told me a little while ago about how your now husband popped the question because you were living over in Coffs working um, for a bank and he was back in Broken Hill. Broken Hill. Yep. And how yeah. did that all come I, about? Oh, that was so funny because I got a transfer with the bank when I left school and I got a, a job and I was, and it was really funny because when you were saying, we we're talking about, I never went to university, I've never had any, I actually forgot to tell you, I did go to secretarial school for 12 months to learn how to type so that I did do that. But yeah, so I got a job with the bank and then I was offered a transfer to Coffs Harbour, which I, yeah, I thought what, you know, I'll have a go. Like, so went over there and I was still going with my husband. We had been going out for, you know, nearly two years. And um, and he used to ring me every night from this phone box in Broken Hill just from where he lived because he was still with the bank. And I remember he said, oh, like, you know, how about we get married? And I said, oh, okay. So, um, yeah, pop the question on the phone this night and he said, well, what are you going to do about a ring? I said, oh, I'll go down the street tomorrow and buy one. So <laughs> just how we we rolled. <laughs> yeah, I love that, <laughs> popping the question over the payphone. So yeah. you do say that life was your university and, and your husband um, has always managed different properties. So you, you moved a lot around the bush, had, had each of your four children in different towns. Mm. And then you moved to the Gold Coast, which is quite a move going from from the outback um what was that move like for you and how did you find the Gold Coast well we decided to move there we already had two children away at boarding school at the Gold Coast and the opportunity came around that my husband and his brother went into a had the opportunity to buy an ash building business at the coast and we thought well look we've always worked on the land we've been on the land for most of our life um, and we thought we're getting a bit older and wanted to try and do something for ourselves. So we took up the opportunity and went into business. And then we moved to the Gold Coast, bought a house. The kids were all settled and that was fine. But because I had been, and I was 40 then, and because I had always been in the bush, had great network of friends, I found I was really missing the mateship and you know, like I'd always been creative and I just was helping my husband with the business, you know, doing all the errands and whatnot with that. But I just felt I was missing something. So um, I had this really good friend and she said, look, why don't you open up a shop at the coast? She said, like, you do painting, you do furniture, you do all these amazing things. And she said, there's really nothing like that at the coast. And I went, oh, okay. And then that little seed that she planted festered and started to grow and 
And then I sort of over, I think it was about a month and I thought, blow it. I'd gone around the coast. I'd looked for different things that may be in competition with what I was thinking of doing. And there was one or two, but they were just a shop front and there was, it was just like you walk in, you bought it and that was it. And I thought, oh, I want to have so much more than that. You know, I want to be able to talk to people and have my own unique spin on it. So I told my husband, he said, well, have a go. Like, so he'd actually started scouting locations for me and found a great spot. It was in um, just off Ferry Road at the Brickworks, like where the Brickworks are, which is this massive big um, shopping precinct at Southport. You just come out and then up on the hill, there was this block of units and they had workshops out the back and showrooms out the front. And anyway, so I took the lease on that for six months and I remember sitting in the shop after we'd signed the lease and had not a scrap of furniture, nothing whatsoever, sitting there going, what have I done? Like, And I gave myself a month. So within that month, and, and also I didn't have clients. Nobody knew who I was. Like, it was just me. I'd only been there for six months. So um, I remember I was going to auctions to source furniture because I was doing the shabby chic and French provincial looks and also doing a lot of kids' paintings bits and pieces that children would have in bedrooms and yeah, different elements to go with that side of things. So, um, yeah, sourcing all the furniture and painting it out the back in the workshop. And then a, a month later, I remember I had, I had like pieces in the showroom. I had the showroom, I hadn't opened, but had the showroom all set up and I was working one night late and I remember I walked out to turn the lights off and there's a lady peering through the window looking at me and I went, hi, and she said, when are you opening? <laughs> And I went, tomorrow. <laughs> she was my first customer and she came in and bought a bed and a bedside table. As it slowly progressed, like customers became friends and word of mouth got out. I had a great editorial done in the Gold Coast newspaper and they did a big spread on me saying, you know, this new business has opened up and she's moved from the bush and, um, you know, she's doing all these great things. And so word of mouth from that, people just started to come in and then they told people. And I was always big on not selling. I, if you wanted to come in and have a look at what I had in the shop, that was fine. I didn't sort of do the hard sell that the Gold Coast was renowned for, like, you know, that push, you need to make a sale. It was just like, um, and I had a sign when you walked in the front door and it said like, please help yourself to a coffee. They're complimentary. Um, if I'm not around, just I'm out the back in the workshop basically. So people were taken back and they like didn't understand the whole concept of come in and relax and look around with no pressure. Mm. And that's, I think, word of mouth that that got out. So I was getting a lot of mums coming in just for a coffee and a chat after they dropped the kids off at school in the mornings. And then that progressed to they tell their friends. And like, honestly, I just honestly couldn't keep up to demand. And then people wanted to know how I did the furniture. So then we incorporated workshops and then people said, where do you get your furniture? So then I thought, well, why can't I do shopping tours where I take a group of ladies and we go out to all these fantastic little places, you know, on the way up to Toowoomba. And, and we actually ended up making a full day of it where we'd, meet at the, the my business at say 7 30 in the morning we'd all hop in this little car and we'd drive up to Toowoomba and go to all the little places along the way Marburg and um different spots and then we'd get to Toowoomba have a beautiful lunch which was all pre-arranged and then we'd come back to the coast and then the people had the opportunity of doing the furniture up in a workshop or I used to do it depending on what they wanted to do so it was a you know it was a really lovely lovely business and um yeah and it was very sad the day I sold it because I never woke up wanting not wanting to go to work if you know what I mean it was always like oh I got this happening this is happening and um 
what I love about that story is you're 40, you have all these talents, but they, to you, they're not special because it's just what you do. But for other people, they're blown away because it's not what they do. And so you Mm. turned this into a business. I mean, did you have any imposter syndrome or did you have any thoughts that why would people want to buy what I do? Or was it just, nah, let's get in there and give it a crack? Oh, no, definitely. I had imposter. I was just self-doubt, anxiety. Why would anyone want to buy from me? Because I was doing it on a bigger scale than what I'd ever done before. Like I had made kids' clothes for people and sold at markets and different things like that, but never on this scale. And I, oh, like the anxiety level was through the roof. And I always used, and even now I still self-doubt myself with my collections that I'm releasing. I always, when they turn up and I'm going, oh my God, I hope people are going to love this, you know, like, because I know I do, but not everybody's the same. And what you were doing, but in the end, I think what it was, I was getting designers, like interior designers on the Gold Coast come to my business and say, right, we want this, this and this. And or can you come to this house that we're doing for a client? Um, I've got some pieces here that I need you to redo or refinish for me in this particular style. And when that was happening, I went, wow. And I actually had had them bring clients to the showroom because I had, because my pieces were very individual, like they were one of a kind, like we'd get bedheads and convert them into day beds um, and different things like that. So they were very, very unique and and they would bring them in. And then also um, Art Union, I had a couple of pieces placed in Art Union homes um, over the time. So that once that start, I, th- I started to go, wow, okay, so people actually really like what I do. <laughs> mm. Or that, you know, you know, it was... Um, that's when it started to to realise and then um, we'd get customers that would come in and say, I sort of did about five bedrooms in 12 months and that was so taxing because they'd come in and say, I want you to do this but I want you to come to my house and do it. So I was sort of, even though I wasn't trained to be an interior designer, I was having to do this and so then we got to the point of having custom pieces made through um, uh what would you call cabinet makers I had a particular style of say a desk or something and they would make it for me and then we do that and install it into the customer's home along with all the little pieces that would um, finish the whole project off so it was fantastic I loved it I think it's a it's a classic that classic saying of um, bite off more than you can chew and just chew like mad and who's to say like why not you I mean someone's got to do it so why not you it it just makes it's very inspiring I think what it is, is you get to a point that you just have to believe in yourself. Like I'm a big believer that we all have, we're all born with gifts and abilities and we just have to find out what they are. Um, And I'm a people person. I can talk to anybody. Like I'm the person that, you know, I'll see somebody lined up at the cash register and she'll have a nice pair of shoes or earrings and I'll say, oh my God, I love your earrings. Where did you get them? You know, like I'm that sort of person. And I think being at the Gold Coast when people came into the business and I was so approachable and over time they realised I was very genuine and authentic, it wasn't that I was trying to do the hard sell on them, that the trust factor became, it was just they trusted me. Mm. So that that was a big thing. So why did you move back to the bush? Okay, so we moved back to the bush because um, we'd been there for about four years and I'd sold my business because my mum was going through Alzheimer's and dementia and I was having to go backwards and forwards to South Australia because she was a nursing home and that was very taxing and I had certain things happening in the business and I couldn't give them my full full attention and I remember getting off the plane one night at the Gold Coast and my husband picked me up and I just said I can't keep doing this like um, 
I think I'm going to have to sell my business because, you know, I was actually, I remember sitting in the airport in Adelaide and I was due to fly home and I just left mum. And I just remember going up and saying, I need to change my flight again. And I stayed for another four days because I couldn't go. So it was just that time and it was very, yeah, heart-wrenching and and I just thought something's got to give here. So, um, yeah, I said to my husband, I think I need to sell the business. And I built it up enough that it was a sellable business. It wasn't like I could just close the doors and walk away. It was something that was quite tangible that I could sell. And so we advertised it and a couple of young mums bought it and um, took it over. So that was good. But um, I was very sad. I remember sitting in the car on the way to the sisters the day that I was signing it over to them and oh, I was crying in the car on the way there. Do I really want to do this? Do I really want to sell this? You know, I've made this baby, you know, and um, but yeah, so I did. And that was just something. But there, then after that, we, um, with my husband's, husband's business, um, we, typical Gold Coast, we'd had a lot of not a lot, but we had a couple of big major jobs that um, the people didn't pay. You know, it was just one of those things on the Gold Coast that you got used to where you'd do a job and then they'd give you a 50 million reasons why they didn't have the money or they couldn't pay it or there was something wrong. And after a couple of big hits, we just went, you know what, we're done. We love it, but it's really not for us because we missed, I miss knowing my neighbours, I miss having you know, friends that you could just, I had that, but it's not the same as what you have in the bush. It's not that sense of community. Like I'm big sense of community out here and, and it was just lacking that. So we actually um, used to catch up with our ex-employers every Christmas and they were at the Gold Coast and, you know, saying a few things and, you know, like, you know, we'd love you to come back and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, yeah, we just came back for a couple of weeks over Christmas to look after a place that they just purchased and stayed there for 14, no, 15 years. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, because with our business, we closed down for 12 months because we couldn't get the Asheville, the product we closed down over Christmas. So we used that opportunity to go and my husband said, oh, yeah, no, we'll just come and look after it for you for a couple of weeks till you work out what you want to do. And um, so when we, we didn't even know where Corinda was. Like I'd been to Walgut, but I hadn't been past, never been to Canamble, never been out this way at all. And, um, and I remember we just were driving out and going, where the hell are we going? Because, like, before that we were at Rowena. Yeah. And then um, so, yeah, we drove out here and had two weeks and I just said to Peter, oh, my God, I love it. I want to, I really want to come back. And then the opportunity arose that um, he took it over and that was nearly 15, 16 years ago. Wow. And it is such a beautiful part of the world. But you had been used to this hustle and bustle and this creativity from your business. And as you say, you're a people person and then you move 80Ks from mm. Walgett. How did you get that fix or how did it come about that you got into to blogging, into Instagram? Um, well, I was really busy because I was helping my husband with the farm. Like it was just him and I and um you know, because it was a cotton cropping and cattle place. So there was something always happening, whether I was helping him muster, we were moving stuff or whether it was um, on a tractor, you know, disking or we were harvest or whatever. And then I also used to have to, when we're in the middle of harvest and different things like that, I'd cook for the, the crew. So it was full on, but I still felt I was missing something on the creative side of myself. And, you know, like, because of where I lived, having another business like I had was just not logistical. I, I couldn't do it. Like I'm 100 k's from the closest town and um, and the, the traffic coming through Corinda, even though it was close, there's just, there wasn't enough. So that option was out. And then my children said to me one day, I had them all home from school 
And they said, Mum, you should do blogging. And I said, what's blogging? And they said, well, you can have a page and you talk about things that you like and you can put photos up. It's like a story and all this. And I went, oh, okay. And then they said, and but you need to be on Instagram to do it. And I said, well, what's Instagram? I'd only just got Facebook. And I said, I don't know what Instagram is. So I said, <laughs> you've got to have Instagram and you've got to put photos. And they sort of basically told me what it was about. So I didn't post anything for a while. I did a big blog post. And if you go back, I've never deleted any of my blog posts. If you go right back. <laughs> they shameful. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, I just, I leave them there because I think, God, I was so into it. I was so into blogging and I was trying to do everything perfectly, you know, like, Everything had to be, you know, like I, before I posted, it would be like, and I'm not the best, I'll tell you now, my grammar and spelling is crap. <laughs> but I, I get there, I, you know, like I try. And something that might take someone, you know, five minutes to write will take me 15 because I'll go back through it, I'll check it, I'll, you know, and then even even then things slip through. But, um, and then I started on Instagram and I was, I didn't really post much to start with. I was just looking at stuff and going, why do they want me to be on Instagram? I can't relate to any of this. Like I couldn't find anybody that was something that I would religiously wake up and go, I want to see what she's doing today or what she's got on or whatever. There were some great women my age doing stuff and they were doing it their way, but I just, it was, I don't know. I just didn't really connect with it. So then what I was thought, missing, okay, do so you think? Like what was missing for you? The authenticity and the humour and the being genuine Mm. and I don't know I just I connected with it but not on a a full way that I would like to see it so then I thought okay um all right I'll start putting a few posts up so and because everything back then was like there were so many people doing Instagram and bloggers and they were very young like they were their 20s and 30s and there wasn't a lot in the over 50 range and if it was it was just over 50s were um doing a makeup thing and it was just like here I am this is what I'm doing that's it yeah there was no, no real person no personality yeah. there was nothing att- attached to it yeah and so um I just started putting a few photos up and I remember the first one we were going to the Ninganaka Expo and I said to my husband oh can you take a photo and he said what do you want a bloody photo for I said I'm going to put it on my Instagram page and he said <laughs> okay stand there and I'm standing there it's like I've got to stick up my bum and the hose is like now I've gotten so much better at taking photos, but the hose was curled up around my feet and, and I looked, but I still posted it. And um, and it just over time I've gotten better. And I think with me, it's always been about authenticity. Like I, you know, like I'll do posts and it'll just be like if it's a sponsored post because since I've sort of got a few followers and whatever, I get asked to do a lot of collaborations and Half of them I don't do because I've got this thing that if I if I wouldn't buy it, if I don't wear it, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't use it. Then I don't do the collaboration. Like, and a lot of people aren't like that. It's just you know if you're going to pay me some money, yeah, I'll pump your product. You know, mm. whereas I don't do that at all. It's just um, I don't need to. Today's episode of Life on the Land is brought to you by Destination Tamworth, where rolling hills meet golden plains and fun-filled activities meet luxury regional experiences. There's no better place for your autumn getaway than the Tamworth region. With pleasant temperatures and stunning colours, it's the perfect season for hiking, picturesque horse riding, spontaneous picnics in nature or a day trip off the beaten track. The Tamworth Regional Gallery and local museums are a creative and cultural must-see. 
and your children will remember getting close with Australia's native wildlife and marsupial park for a long time to come. After an action-packed day, enjoy Tamworth's growing food scene. No matter the experience you choose, a trip to the region this autumn will be Tam worth it. To plan your getaway, visit destinationtamworth.com.au slash tamworthit. Has your husband become the real Instagram husband, you know, knows how to get you good angles? God, no. (laughs) No, he does have nothing. He's not even on Instagram. He knows nothing. The only time he finds out what I'm up to is the girls in his office are on it and they follow me and they'll go, oh, my God, did you see what Maz did on the weekend? And he goes, I don't want to (laughs) know. Yeah, no. um, In your Instagram bio, you say that you, you know, it's all about fashion and, and creativity for women over 50 and helping them navigate midlife. How has midlife Mm. been for you? Um, Well, now it's great because I've found my niche. I found what I love doing and I've found something that makes me want to get out of bed and and it ignites my passion. But um, I get asked this a lot about menopause and things like that. I seriously don't remember going through it. I know I did because my husband reminds me all the time. But back then I was sort of thinking, why don't I ever remember or why did I not feel the need to go and get help? But the thing was, I think I started it when I was, when this big move was on, when we went to the Gold Coast, like I was 40 and I think I was premenopausal then. So I think because I was so busy with the big move, we bought the house, we renovated the house. um, I started the business. The kids were, I had four kids at school. And I just think I was so busy. I thought I'm tired and I'm cranky. That's what it's down to, you know, like, and all those, all those other issues was just related to how busy my life was. Mm. Now I look back on it and I think, oh my God, I was going through menopause and, you know, all this stuff was going on. And that's what I used to blame that it was just that. And because I'd left a lot of my really close friends back in the bush, I didn't have a lot of people to talk to about it. So like where you'd catch up for coffee, you know, you'd have a mother's group or something on a Thursday morning and you'd sit down and they might be talking about, you go, oh my God, yes, that's happening to me. I didn't have that. I was on my own just navigating life myself. So yeah, I I look back at it now and go, oh yeah, I went through it, but I was blaming something else. (laughs) But for all of its cons, that's that there is so much beauty of connection on Instagram. And now you might be isolated. You might be living on a property in the middle of nowhere, but you can have these conversations in your DMs, you know, in your direct messages. Yes. Oh, look, I got one last night um, and it brought me to tears and it's not the only one I've had like this. And this is, this is what makes me so happy I get to do what I get to do because to encourage women to feel more confident and not just to fade away because you hit 50 doesn't mean we slowly just trickle off, you know, into the sunset. I'm living more now than I have ever because my kids have grown up. Like we've got grandkids, which is like having your own kids back again. But um, I'm doing what I want to do, like things that I love to do now. But I got this message from a young daughter she was 30 I think she said and her mother was really struggling to find and you know her her feet and had lost her way with her fashion and how she wanted to look and she said I've been following you and she said I've told my mum to follow you and since she has she has started to dress differently she's taking more effort in her appearance she started to wear and it's not all about wearing makeup and getting glammed up it's 
I find if I wear makeup, it makes me feel good. I don't wear it every day, but if I'm going somewhere and I put a little bit of makeup on, I feel great. I feel like I just feel different. And she said her mum has started to do this and take, and they've gone shopping together. So, you know, and she's wearing things she wouldn't normally wear because she follows me and she's seen different outfits that I've posted and it's given her the confidence to try new things. And when I got it, I went, wow, I really needed to, because I need to hear that because sometimes you think who's watching me because you'll get a lot of people comment, but to get deep and meaningful comments like that, it does really, really make it all worthwhile. And, you know, even if I only help one or two people, yes, it's so worth it. But I think um, a, a pretty good rule of thumb is that for every comment, there's probably five or ten people thinking that who haven't reached out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really interesting what you were just saying before about this conversation around visibility and feeling invisible over a certain age. You certainly are very visible with your colour and your fashion and the cozies that you wear on Instagram. I mean, talk to me about cozy confidence and why you want to get up in videos and and wear your your togs and, and show women how to wear their swimsuit. Yeah, that came about um, when I sort of was doing the Instagram and I was posting fashion pics and people would ask me, um, like, what what swimwear would suit this shape and whatever. And um, I had the opportunity, I became an ambassador for the Cosy Confidence Movement, which was back in 2015. And it's a group of women run by Anita McLaughlin. She is just the most, well, she's a very dear friend now, but um, she owns Sequins and Sands and she's really big on body confidence and getting to women to put on swimmers and live their best summers. And I remember I applied to be an ambassador for her Cosy Confidence and I got it and and it just empowered me so much to want to help other women feel the way I felt that I didn't care care less what people thought of me in a pair of swimmers and <clears throat> excuse me and and there was a group of about six women and all different shapes and sizes all different I think I was the oldest I was a grandmother and I was the eldest with a child with a grandchild and and it was just so wonderful to be able to get up in front of the camera and take photos and be with a group of women that were like-minded and with the the one ultimate goal is to help other women feel the same and it has it's been I've been with them for six years now I've been an ambassador and it's just grown from strength to strength and the numbers of women that are now when I do a campaign every year um the the wonderful messages and comments that we get saying you know like I went on holidays for the first time and wore swimmers and I went snorkeling with my grandchildren and had the best time and and it was just all these wonderful messages of women that were actually not worrying, giving a, you know, rats about what people thought because no, at the end of the day, no one's really looking mm. and it's a real mind game. And once you can get people to understand that it's all upstairs and that you're the one that's missing out, you're the one that's missing spending time and making memories with your family and your kids, um, that it, it's just so wonderful to see women to go from that to enjoying their summers and you know, buying swimwear and and not caring what people think because yeah. no one's like I said, no one's looking and just enjoying it. I mean, life is oh, really it's short. just enjoying it is. Yeah. And like I've lost some very close friends, and they should be doing what I'm doing. They should be there with their grandchildren, enjoying them. And um, and yeah, and so yeah, the more people I can encourage to do that, um, then that's great. 
When did your numbers start to grow and, and what was your reaction? I mean, you have nearly 30,000 followers. That is a lot of people mm. and a lot of traction. Mm. How did this all kind of start to evolve and, and what did you think? Well, it was it was funny because I, I can contribute it to when, re, when Instagram rolled out reels. And as I was saying in the very beginning, I mean, if I could do one thing when I was at school, I used to love to be in the drama and, and acting and things like that. And I always have been. My kids, like, honestly, some of the things I do, I know they cringe. And sometimes I'm sure they wake up to check their Instagram page in the morning and go, my God, what's mum done today? You know, like, because I do, I love to act out. And I know reels isn't for everybody. I've heard comments from different bloggers that go, oh, I'm not going to dance around and do this and this just to get followers. I don't do it to get followers. I do it because it's a way that I can be creative and let that playful side of myself out. And I love it. Like, honestly, I was so happy when it rolled out because all these things opened up. Like I was able to be a character. I was able to get a point across by being a character. Like I did one that I posted this morning. It was so funny. Um, and it was about contour makeup, about how these bloggers and everything are doing all this contouring makeup. And I found this um, audio about, you know, oh, God, I can't remember where I got it from. But anyway, so I put all this contour makeup on and I looked like something out of The Lion King. And I did this real, and it was so much fun. And they're the things that I love to do. And, you know, sometimes you can incorporate it whether you're doing a fashion post or you know, just life in general of midlife. Like I do them. I don't wear makeup a lot of the time. It's just I get out of bed and I'm going, I've got one in mind. And and sometimes they might take five minutes. The ones that you take you no time at all to make when you've got no makeup on, you're just in your dressing gown. You'll, I've had some that have done like 800, 900,000 views, like nearly a million. But then you'll do ones that might take you three hours and it's like, they hardly get any and it's like, oh, if only you could pick it because they, a lot of them do take quite a bit of time. But, but figuring it, it all out, it. was it difficult yeah. to, to figure out the technology? Uh, it was because, oh, like I said to you the other day, I've only learned to copy and paste last year. I don't, even, I never even knew how to do that. And my daughter's just showed me how to link products with my um, business now. Like I learned that the other day and I was so excited about that. But with Reels, because I know... No one's going to show me how to do it. I'm, I've got no one that can help me because even with my business, everything you see on my page is me. Like I do everything. There's no little staff behind me or assistant helping me take photos. It's just me. Um, I YouTube or Google like, and then I will try it. And then I follow a few people on Instagram that are really good at teaching reels and different techniques and I pick it up from there and it's just trial and error. I'll, I'll do a, a test run and if that works, I go, wow, like that's how you do that. And I'm loving it because it's you get to be so creative, like especially like I learned the other day how to do a green screen where you can actually change the screen behind you and you could be somewhere, you could be anywhere. Yeah, so <laughs> fun. fun. So yeah, I'm loving so it. Fun. Yeah. Really, all you need and is a, a tripod. people don't find that. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of people don't like it, but I just find it just so much fun. If I could make reels all day and you pay me, I would do it. I would do reels <laughs> all day. <laughs> what have been some of the stories um, of people around you or uh, interesting kind of things that have happened whilst you've been exploring and, and figuring this game out? Oh, wow. I could write a book on what's happened. But um, <laughs> one of the funniest things was, I was doing, um, there was a blog post I was doing about 
finding the things that are in your wardrobe that you haven't worn, like all the little the little hidden gems and different things that you might have brought years ago and you've forgotten about in your wardrobe. So I was doing this whole blog post about that and I was outside. I, I got all these clothes that I hadn't worn in years, took them and styled them up and I was out the front and I had an evening gown on, like full-on evening gown. I had the makeup, the red lip, the chandelier earrings, everything was on and I was taking photos on the front lawn off the, the house and I looked because our driveway, there's a big dirt track that come, used to come down to the house. And I saw some dust coming and I looked and it was a white Prada. I went, oh my God, it's our agronomist. So I went, shit. So I dived, I dived up onto the veranda. I raced down the end, raced inside to the bedroom. <laughs> In your chiffon. Oh, yeah, I was all decked out. You got no idea. I took the dress off, put on some work jeans, work shirt. And then I, my husband and he both walked into the kitchen and I said, oh, do you want morning tea? And I went, yep. So I'm making morning tea and talking and then it wasn't until they left I walked into the bathroom and I still had my chandelier earrings and my bright red lipstick on and I thought my god this guy is gonna think I've dressed up just for him like RB seller shirt on still but I had these big because I just forgot to take everything off I just got the dress off and bang (laughs) oh god what a hooch but you know you're just being yourself Oh God. And then there was another time I was doing, I used to, um, to help women in exercise. Like I had this, um, I still do it now off and on, but just to try and get women to get out of a rut, you know, like, and get up and start walking. And I used to walk every morning with my dogs and I'd have, um, you know, the music in my earphones and I'd do a bit of a jig to it to get people motivated. So I was doing all that and filming it. And then I realized the dogs were stopped and they were looking like it and had their heckles and everything up. And then I turned around and here's a BW on the road behind me because he'd come in the front gate and I used to walk around the sheds and he'd come in the front gate and I hadn't heard him and he's actually stopped behind me because he couldn't get past me because I was dancing. And I went, oh, my God. And I walked up, I knew him, and I said, how long have you been there? He goes, long enough. <laughs> I said, don't you dare tell Peter. Don't you dare tell Peter what you've just witnessed or anybody else. <laughs> he said, yep, radio, as they do. And I went, oh, my God, so embarrassing. Um, you definitely just offered a lot of fodder over the pub that night. Yep. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure he didn't keep his end of the bargain. I'm no sure way. I'm on farm knew. No bloody way. <laughs> so, so for all of its um, beautiful you know, possibilities for connection. I mean, social media does have its cons, obviously. And and how have you dealt with trolls? Have you experienced any negativity oh, online? Yeah, a lot. Um, and I used to really let it get to me. I've had, you know, women say a lot. I, well, they're always a private account and there's never a photo and they have mm. no followers. It's, I know it's I know it's trolls. There's no one really genuine behind it. And that's just mm. what they're out to do is to, to cause you some grief and disrupt your day. You know, mm. that's basically what they do. And I used to get really upset because they'd say, what are you doing here? You're too old, you're too fat, get off, you know, and all this nonsense. And I used to just block and delete it and just Mm. not give them a seat. And then I started trying to, you know, put up a really beautiful poem saying we're all, you know, coming to this world the same and over time life moulds us and creates us into the people we are today and we just have to accept who we are and try and encourage others to be the same. And I did all that. And then, you know, that used to make a lot of women feel great, but mm. the trolls were still the same and you'll never change them. So now I had one the other day and it was really, she was, anyway. And I just, it was about when I was doing a Cosby Confidence shoot and I had a photo of me and a pair of swimmers saying, you know, like, 
I just, if I could help one person feel as good as I do when I've got my swimmers on and go and, you know, swim with my grandchildren in the swimming lessons and all this stuff. And there was this really derogatory comment. So I actually put that post back up and then I had put the message that I'd received from this person and left everything there, the hashtag, you know, name or whatever, and just let everybody read what this person had said. I'm all for naming and shaming now because mm. how are you going to make people change if you don't point it out? You know, people are just going to keep continually getting away with it unless we stand up. And mm. I just think there's so many women that may not do what I, I'm doing because they see the troll factor and think, oh, God, I don't want that to happen to me or how would I handle it if somebody said that to me? I, I really don't care because no one's going to stop me from what I enjoy doing and mm. it helps so many other people. So why would I stop? You know, mm. I just don't mm. care. And there's such cowardice in these in this kind of keyboard warrior mentality of hiding behind mm. um, a DM and it's just, you know, better to light a candle than point out the darkness. And I think a lot of influencers are now doing similar things like Abby Chatfield mm. and where they are naming and shaming because bugger it. I mean, if you're going to take the time to, to be so vitriolic, then mm. I guess it's, it's up to you to kind of get it back. Yeah. And it's not about tit for tat. It's about exposing um, this dark side of it where mm. someone can be so terrible and so derogatory to another person. Mm. And then to see the comments of women saying, oh, my God, I can't believe somebody would say that. Like, where is this person coming from? Do they not realise that you have a voice, you are trying to do so much good mm. that, yeah, it just highlights what's mm. out there. And then hopefully that person that said that will read it and go. But I have learnt to... Um, after I've done that, I then go and block them because I don't want them be having access to my page. Like, but I will point out to them what they've said and I don't care. Mm. But because with Instagram, like um, I put up a post the other day and it was just a real, I'm all about humour. I love humour. Like just, it's just part of me. And I put up this really cool, funny joke and someone complained. It's, it's a nameless, faceless person, obviously reported it to Instagram. And I've got this thing saying, we've taken it down. If you do it again, you're going to get a three-month block. And it was just like, what? And that I'd actually reposted that from Facebook. So it's still up on Facebook. So, you know, it's just because one person reported it. And I thought, wow. So it just goes to show you that these trolls can still disrupt your page. I make a highlight of it and show the comment. And then once that's gone, I just block it. Because mm, no. you don't want those people having any control um, over what you post or power yeah definitely no I think that's really a sensible approach so tell me about your because you've always sewn your own clothes and you had your little your children's line um how did your fashion line come about and, and how did you start launching your collections well I've always sewn clothes and through my Instagram page um if I'd sewn an outfit or a dress or a skirt or a top I'd always get comments from women saying, oh, my God, where did you get that? You know, how do I get it? And I'd say, oh, mate, can you make me one? So I was doing that for quite a while where I would um, make my, my designs for women and sell them through my Instagram page. And then um, I just couldn't keep up demand. It was really frustrating because women would say, I want that, I want that. And, and I just physically couldn't do it because it was just me. And then I thought, oh, one day I would love to be able to have my designs made and manufactured so I could just have it on the shelf and 
package it up and send it without me having to physically make it. And then so that was like festering in my mind. And then it wasn't until we had the big move um, 12 months ago and I had all this free time, like because we'd been so busy with my husband's job and I was helping him and different things, I had all this time opening up that I could focus on things that I wanted to do in my own personal life. And that was always one of them on, you know, I always wanted to be able to do it. But um, so, yeah, I, I sort of thought, how am I going to, and I had looked into Australian manufacturing. And then I remember this woman that followed me on Instagram. Um, she's an expat that lives in Bali. And she had put a couple of photos up of some things that she'd had made in Bali. And I thought, I wonder if she knows of anywhere I could, source a manufacturer that I could just get some quotes because I'm only very small like I'm I don't want to leave a huge footprint I'm all about sustainability like you would be shocked the amount of items in my range that I get you know some of them I might even get five or ten pieces of a particular size because I don't want to have it mass produced I just want to have very small quantities and know that they will sell and if I sell out well then that's fine but I only very very small quantities and a lot of people won't take that on so um, I remember just messaging her this day and said, look, you know, I'm trying to find someone that would be able to do this. And she messaged me back and we'd had conversations over the years. We'd followed each other for about four or five years. And she said, well, you're not going to believe what I do. And she was actually a sourcing agent. And that's what she did as a job. So to cut a long story short, she has helped me immensely. And I couldn't have done it without her because she's just been fantastic and I can't wait now that Bali's open to get over there and meet her in person because we'll have zoom meetings because like I'll have an idea and I'll draw it and I'll say I want this and then she has to try and visualize what I'm saying by zoom calls and like my little drawings and because I'm not the best at when it comes to actually drawing patterns and so a lot of the time I'll actually make up a, a prototype and I'll have it on and I'll say like this is the style and I want this sleeve and I want this embellishment or I want the collar to sit like this. And then so she gets it and then she'll draw it and then she'll take it to the tailor and then he'll make up a sample and then she'll bring it back. We'll have another Zoom call and it's always made to my size. So then it's sent to me and then I try it on and we tweak it. Like some things, some things will go back and forth three or four times because I just want them, you know, that, you know, it might be the size of a ruffles too big or too small or something. It's just got to be spot on so we it's been a it's been a ride I can tell you and it's just been so much fun and to actually have items that I've made myself and then to see them packaged up when the cartons come because like it's just such it, I still to this day pinch myself thinking oh my god I never in a million years I thought I'd get to this stage I never thought I'd be able to do it and have your your designs walking around in the world being lived in and loved I mean, what I keep getting from your story is that anything is possible. Anything, anything. And I'm the biggest, like, self-doubter of your abilities. But now with everything in the, it's only been in the last five or six, well, six years, I suppose, and I've realised I can do anything I really, really put my mind to. If I want to do something, um, I'm not educated, as I've told you before. I've, I'm not a scholar. I've never, I've, I've just gone through life and followed things that have drawn me to them and and if I can do this anybody can do anything you know what I mean like it's just finding something that you love to do is half the battle if you can find something that you love to do and it brings you joy that's half the battle because like at the end of the day this is how I look at it we've all born with gifts and abilities like 
and we just go through life and as long as we get to a point that we start to hone in on what makes us tick and, and how we can use what we've got inside of us to help other people, that's when life becomes very, very fulfilling and interesting. And is it possible to make a living from Instagram? <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I'm still waiting. I mean, I do, I have done a few collaborations and it's only now that because I have worked so hard to get the following and I'm all about, I protect my followers. Like I haven't, I'm not one that just because I've got 30,000 followers, I'm going to show you absolutely everything and bombard you with anything that's going to make me a dollar. Mm. I protect my followers like they are my family. They, yeah. And so, I mean, I'm asked a lot, I like, as I said to you earlier, 50% of the stuff that I get asked to do, I won't do because it's just not in alignment with me. And I've seen other people have it on their page and go, oh, okay, well, then they're promoting that. Good for you, but it just mm. wasn't for me. Mm. But um, I have been approached. I was approached um, by a couple of big brands and I've worked with them last year. And I, it's only now that I know the time, like for me to do a photo shoot for a company or anything, it is like two full days basically because I do all the editing, all the content, all the photography, all the um, styling, locations, you know, like I've got to find the locations. Then I have to edit the photos, you know, if the lighting's bad or and like there's a, a multitude of things that can go wrong, but it's just me. So all that now, I never used to when I was starting out because I thought I just need, no one's going to pay for me to put a photo up. But now that I've I know I've worked so hard to where I've got to and I've got the capabilities and I've got the audience that I think, yeah, my time is worth that. And that's mm. how much, if you want to use me, this is how much it's going to cost. Mm. Understanding your value. It's knowing your worth. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Yeah, it takes a while, especially as freelancers, and not to gender it, but I think as women to really recognise that our time is value and it does have a monetary um, association and it should do. Yep. Yep, it, it, it is. And, you know, and it's back again to that valuing your time for your effort. And I've got a couple of women that I'm very close to that are influencers in different areas on Instagram. It's like beauty or whether it's fashion. Um, and we've had long conversations about this. And I remember talking to one of them not so long ago about valuing your time. And she said, don't you dare do it for nothing. You've put your time into it. You're taking time away from your family to do this. It's just that you just tell them that's your price. Mm, yeah. And it's just having someone that you can talk to. And I've, I have got a lot that I can talk to now. I never used to because I was just the new kid on the block and nobody wanted to talk to me. You know, I was just a 57-year-old woman doing a thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but now yeah. I've, 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 I've got the following and I think they, they take me a little bit more seriously, you know, and people say, how do you, how do, you do it? It's all about being authentic and just how you connect with your audience. And I'm always about what you see is what you get. I'm authentic. I don't try to be something I'm not. And the only thing I fake it, and the only thing I fake is my tan. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Well, I think also, you know, when you're trying to figure out your value, it can be very helpful to look to go to the people who you find aspirational or where you would like to mm. be and ask them what they charge. It's actually amazing how mm. often people want to help you out and say, oh, well, actually, this yep. is what I, what I charge per hour or this is my rate for this. And and it, that is just so helpful to understand a yep. base rate and, and what the yardstick is. And it is. And I, I started off very low because I thought, like, I've got to prove to myself because being a one-man band, I don't have, like, 
a photographer. Like I don't, I've used my phone. That's that's my camera. And so I don't have a lot of the skills and the abilities that someone, if they're going to pay a photographer to set up in a studio, I don't have that. It's just what you see is what you get. Mm. But over time, I've learned techniques. I've learned different different ways that I can get good photos and, you know, to know where a good location is and how it's going to shoot. Like mm. I'm not trained in photography at all, but just different things that I've worked out Mm. that work if you know what I mean Mm. and I really find that for imposter syndrome when people um you're just not going to be everything to everyone and so if you figure out what it is that you do well then you can say well actually I'm not the best at that but this is the energy that I bring this is what you're getting this is the value so Mm. um yeah you know then that's why it's worth you worth it yep exactly and like I love, and I don't do them as much, but um, the lives that you can do through Instagram where you can actually have a live chat with your audience and and you can actually ask people to come in and you split the screen and you can have two, I think you can have up to four people now talking. And um, they're just so much fun because I can actually interact live with my audience and you can have, you know, people that have followed you for five years finally get to talk to them about, you know, and it might just be a general chat. You know, it might not be about anything in particular, but it's just like, hi, I've got 10 minutes. Who's around? Do you want to have a chat? Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I I think that's the biggest takeaway I've um, got from our conversation is just to have fun with it. I mean, don't take yourself too seriously. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Oh, Maz, well, you're an absolute delight and you certainly bring a lot of joy to my grid. So um, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time and also for um, giving up an hour that you're meant to be having with your grandbaby. So I really appreciate it. No, that's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. And like I said, I feel humbled that you'd asked me to come onto this because Crazy Her is the only um, magazine I buy. It's the only one. Gosh, what a hoot. I love Maz and her realness. I think we can all take a lot out of this chat. One of those being wear the swimsuit. Don't miss out. I also love that nearing 60, Maz is truly just getting started. I'm really looking forward to following along Maz's journey and seeing what other fabulousness she gets up to. She's inspiring and a bit of a legend. If you enjoyed today's conversation and want to say thanks, please flick this episode to your friends and family and consider rating and reviewing us on whatever app you're listening to. It means the world. We read each review and it truly helps others find us. Don't forget to check out our gorgeous autumn issue at all quality newsagents. Or you can subscribe online at grazyherd.com.au and have it delivered straight to your mailbox. Until next time, keep well. This is a Grazy Her podcast produced by Manson and Company.